The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to our podcast, The Tactical Take, where we discuss our thoughts on the markets, highlighting the opportunities and risks that we see in the current environment, and how we're positioned in the tactical sleeves of the Natixis models to reflect this backdrop. My name is Jack Janisiewicz, Portfolio Manager and Lead Portfolio Strategist with Natixis Investment Manager Solutions, and I lead the Natixis Investment Manager Solutions Investment Committee. When we say that the June lows held for the S&P 500, close enough. Maybe if I use a big fat crayon to draw the support level, we can say we held it. Not only did it bounce off my Crayola crayon support level, but it went on to return more than 8% during the month. And not to be outdone, the granddaddy, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, was up a touch over 14% for October. Its best October in the index is 126-year history and the largest monthly gain since 1976. Tech is measured by the NASDAQ eked out a 3.9% gain despite the fangs taking it on the chin. And global equities performed well too with the MSCI Acqui XUS gaining almost 3% while EM struggled, dragged lower by China names. Interestingly, the cyclical sectors led the market higher with energy being a big performer while industrials, financials, and materials all outperformed the broad index. We see you cyclicals. On the fixed income side, the Treasury curve bare flattened as the market continued to reprice the Fed's terminal rate higher by another 50 basis points. Spreads widened across the board in sympathy with the Treasury curve with the higher quality segment of the market, and think mortgage-backed, ag, and investment grade here, widened out by roughly 25 basis points each using the Bloomberg U.S. Ag components as a reference. Spread product did well, with the riskier segment of the fixed income space rallying, the LSTA 100 loan index, and the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate High Yield Bond Index took their cue from the equity space and rallied roughly 1.6 and 2.5% respectively, while EM debt in both hard and local currency bonds struggled. But it certainly was quite a start to the month of October. Two days in, and both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were up almost 6%. That's what we'd call a good old-fashioned face ripper to start the final quarter. Hopes for a dovish Fed pivot combined with the market being offsides bearish from both a sentiment and positioning standpoint, and voila, fuel for a pop. Why the hopes for a pivot? The September ISM print came in softer than expected. The ISM survey, the Institute for Supply Management, looks at the change in production levels across the U.S., and given that we're in the bad news is good news setup, markets cheered this data. The internals of the ISM survey were helpful as well. Prices paid were a bit softer, but more importantly, employment saw a nice drop. Both supportive of the idea that the economy is slowing, the labor market is softening, and prices are coming off. Just what the Fed is looking for. The JOLTS report that following day, and this is the Bureau of Labor Statistics survey looking at job openings, was also much softer than expected, reinforcing the idea that the labor market is finally easing up. The number of job openings dropped by a whopping 10%, or over a million job listings, well below expectations. But this face ripper was not to be sustained, and another dovish pivot-driven rally attempted was soon dashed. The September jobs report came in almost perfectly in line with market consensus. The U.S. economy added 263,000 jobs, pretty much in line with expectations, with some encouraging signs of a normalizing labor market. But good news for the economy is bad news for the markets, and this was probably a bit more good news than bad. With the markets looking for soft data on the employment front to build an even stronger case for that Fed pivot, evidence of a resilient labor market is what the risk markets did not want to see. So much for any follow-through on that face ripper. 
While we're on the topic of pivots, can we please retire this term? A pivot to interest rate cuts isn't coming. What we're likely to see is a pause. Higher rates for longer is the party line here, and the data is nowhere near changing that tune. The question still remains, however, at what level of rates does that pause come? The risk to the dovish outlook over the next year or so is that the economy proves far less rate sensitive than it used to be. Events in the UK show the sensitivity of the financial economy to higher rates through a more rapid shift higher, but the real economy may be much less sensitive to higher rates. Strong balance sheets with excess cash, strong labor markets, mortgages almost entirely fixed rate in nature. These all change the transmission mechanism relative to prior cycles. And yes, liquidity is certainly lower due to elevated volatility, but markets are still functioning. And any disruptions in financial markets are unlikely to be met with rate cuts. Rather, expect the Fed as a lender or market maker of last resort to employ a more precise response via its open market operations similar to the Bank of England in the wake of the pension fund doom loop. The Fed has many tools at its disposal to address the disruptions while also continuing on its tightening path. And pivoting to rate cuts is probably at the very bottom of that toolbox. But back to inflation, public enemy number one right now. Recall the Fed wants to see three things, below trend growth, a softer labor market, and clear and convincing evidence that inflation is returning to 2%. September consumer price inflation was up four-tenths of 1% versus the consensus of two-tenths. Core inflation rose six-tenths of a percent versus consensus of four-tenths, all above expectations, so no bueno. We continue to see a split in terms of inflation. Goods inflation continued to soften while services remain sticky. And there does appear to be a timing mismatch. We see plenty of downward pressure on inflation all around us, and yet that data seems to be operating with a lag. The soft data still hasn't found its way into the hard data. The service sector did the bulk of the damage for this inflation print. Rents rose 8 tenths of 1% versus the previous month, jumping up to mark a new high. Medical care costs picked up. Not surprising as people returned to get procedures addressed that were postponed during COVID. Take note here, though. October should reverse this trend due to the calculation methodology. This metric will recalibrate next month with the interpretation being that health insurance costs are now dropping. The other anomaly, vehicle insurance. You might be able to point the finger at Hurricane Ian here too, but housing remains a headache, rents more specifically. We're certainly seeing signs that rental demand is beginning to fizzle and many alternative private measures of rents are showing softness. CPI rents lag these metrics because of methodology. Existing tenants' rents are increased at renewal, not contemporaneously with increases for new tenants. While the pace and timing of this flow through to the CPI data is uncertain, it certainly seems that we're nearing a pivotal peak. Regardless of the nitpicking here, this inflation print certainly was not showing any clear and convincing evidence to the Fed that we're heading back to 2% inflation. Great. The economic data remains mixed. Labor data looks fairly resilient. Inflation doesn't show any signs that it's definitely rolling over. So let's now start worrying about earnings season. The common refrain in third quarter earnings, there's a set to disappoint and estimates will have to be slashed. Yes, we've seen downward revisions and negative pre-announcements and some ugly big ones at that. But this is the typical theme every quarter. Estimates are too optimistic and a revised lower, ultimately overshooting as actuals come in better than expected. That classic fishhook shape. So far this quarter is shaping up similarly. Estimates have indeed been slashed, largely in line with the historical trend. And now we watch for beats to start coming in. And let's see if we get a repeat of first and second quarter here. Better than feared. 
To be sure, the focus will be less on trailing performance and more on guidance. And to that end, we've certainly seen some guidance misses. But broadly speaking, management commentary has remained sanguine based on consumer health and demand. Yes, there are gluts, with semiconductors facing a high-profile one in the consumer PC segment, but earnings and margins are holding up with a primary short-term headwind being the U.S. dollar. Nonetheless, we continue to hear the pervasive narrative that earnings estimates are far too optimistic and will need to be the next shoe to drop. But it's hard to claim that estimates haven't softened. Down revisions have been dominating since May, indicating that the downgrade cycle is well underway. And while at the index level, earnings appear to be holding up and stripping out the massive earnings growth in the energy complex, this shows an earnings outlook that has indeed softened. But what's the biggest issue with the next shoe to drop narrative? bearish S&P targets continue to rely on simple math of a fair value P.E. multiple applied to slashed earnings estimates. Sounds logical, right? The problem with this? Markets are forward discounting mechanisms. Investors are constantly voting on their estimates of the correct multiple in earnings. Prices are already reflecting lower earnings estimates despite the fact that the analyst community has been slower to adjust estimates with a relative dearth of guidance. And this means that multiples do not bottom at the same time as earnings estimates. So this math doesn't work out in practice. Prices reflect the low in earnings estimates well before the actual bottom is in for estimates. And looking to the last four downgrade cycles as a guide, the market typically bottoms about halfway through that downgrade cycle. A lot of bad news has already been priced in. Even if estimates have further to slide, prices may not. But back to the issue at hand. Are we nearing a Fed pause? Recall that we are in the higher for longer camp, where the Fed retains a restricted level of interest rates for longer. The Fed has three levers to pull, size of the rate hikes, the speed of the rate hikes, and the duration that they remain restrictive. We expect them to begin focusing more on the duration of restrictive over anything else going forward, but we take note of the comments from Fed officials more recently, and these comments have been much more balanced. The vernacular has highlighted terms such as two-sided and lagged effects. When you hear two-sided, think... The balance of risks becoming more evenly distributed, the trade-off where the downside to growth is equal to the risk for upside inflation, and lagged effects? Think policy takes time to manifest itself in the real economy. On the idea of lagged effects, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly noted that inflation and employment are the two most lagging parts of the economy. The Fed cannot simply hike rates until both inflation and employment begin to roll over and head lower. By then, it'll be too late to correct and overshoot at that point. No bueno. So a subtle shift from the, some Fed heads. The other shift, market reaction. We always say that the reaction to the news is more important than the news itself. Well, big cap tech was taken to the woodshed for their earnings misses. Wow, did they get pulverized. But the market seems to be shifting its tone one to where risks are now more two-sided as opposed to a one-way trade south. Despite that carnage in the big cap tech space, the S&P 500 held its levels and did not make new lows in October. The percentage of names hitting 20-day highs continues to expand with over 50% of the S&P names moving higher, a key barometer indicating broad participation. We also note other divergences. Small and mid-caps are showing some strong relative performance. Financials, industrials, energy and materials all have been leading the cyclicals. Even high-yield spreads have been making higher lows. I can add even more examples to this list, but the point here is the market shifting away from smacking entire sectors or the whole market on bad news and treating some of these headlines as more as idiosyncratic risk. In the face of some pretty horrific price action out of big cap tech, the market appears to be holding up quite well, and we take note. The final point to highlight... 
The last week of the month saw a slew of economic data that came in on the weaker side. Several manufacturing surveys slipped into contraction territory. Housing data is showing signs of a rapid cooling. A cooling housing market contributes to softer demand in ancillary goods and services and also translates into lower rent prices over time. The details from the third quarter GD print were also soft, with goods consumption falling, service consumption increasing but at a slower pace, and a stunning decline in housing activity via a huge contraction in residential fixed income. The bottom line here, real private domestic demand. The best predictor of future domestic demand trends slowed to just a gain of one-tenth of one percent, barely hanging on to positive growth. If bad data is good, then this string of numbers fits that bill. It's been some time. But at long last, we're starting to get an assist from the weaker data. Might the peak in rates be in? That's something we're arguing over internally here. Time will tell, but the odds are certainly rising and we're getting close. So what do we do this month? Nothing new. We continue to like the portfolio's positioning. Largely neutral equities favor U.S. over developing and international markets tilt towards large cap and small cap within the U.S. bucket. On the bond side, we continue to underweight mortgage backs and hold an overweight to investment grade bonds. Duration continues to be neutral with a barbell of short and long duration treasuries. And as we've said for some time, fundamentals are weakening, but positioning and sentiment remain quite offsides in our view, too bearish. And sure, earnings estimates are being revised lower, but might equity prices have largely discounted this already with a 25% correction in the S&P 500? Mr. Market speaks and will give you clues as to what he may be thinking, and we take note as we highlighted a few of these tells in this podcast. These observations make us look at our screens, squint, crinkle our nose, and say, hmm, with a gentle rub of our chin with our hand. And if the peak in rates is in, that just might be what the doctor ordered. The Fed's terminal rate may very well be closer than some think, and we may even already be there. To wrap up our podcast, The Tactical Take, this is Jack Janisiewicz. Hope you enjoyed the commentary and thanks for listening. Important information for listeners outside the United States. Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcasts disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult imnatixis.com slash intl slash podcasts and other media. Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis investment managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis investment managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments, do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies. Collectively Natixis, such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds or other financial products. 
provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888 Boylston Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Manager Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. LLC Natixis Advisors, LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC, Pod 37 November 2022, Adtrax 5077137, 1, 1, Expiration Date June 30, 2023.